This is a kick in the grass with Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair on the Sportsnet Radio Network. The champions are off with a win, but it doesn't come without questions. The Toffees' new look midfield impresses, and the hype train around Mikel Arteta's arsenal continues to pick up speed. Welcome. It is a kick in the grass. Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair coming up on today's show. We bring our takeaways from the weekend fixtures in the Premier League, a Bundesliga preview with Chris Williams. And as always, we take your questions as well. DM us anytime at Dan Riccio underscore and at SN Jeff Blair on Twitter. We have new episodes every Monday. Subscribe so that you never miss a show with your favorite podcatcher. All right, Jeff. Weekend takeaways, match day one in the Premier League in the books. I guess we got to start with that spectacle between Liverpool and Leeds, hey? <laughs> well, we all talked about how happy we were to see Leeds back in the back in the Premiership, and and um, how excited we were to see Marcello Bielsa sort of get the match, you know, matches wits against the best the best coaches in the Premier League and. I, mean, I gotta get me one if, of those if, stools, by the way. Like, I'll tell you I, what. If that's if that's the way it's gonna go, um, <laughs> yeah. That, welcome back, Leeds. That's all I can say. Welcome back, Leeds. Is is it weird for you uh, that that Leeds is kind of everybody's second favorite Premiership team right now? Because that's definitely not a part of their history. <laughs> no, no. Leeds is a team. Leeds is a team everybody hated. Right? You you hated your arch rival. And and then you hated Leeds. I, I mean, they were, you know, the, the movie The Damned United took a lot of poetic license with a lot of things about Brian Clough's time there. But a lot of it was accurate. You know, they were a very nasty, very dirty club. And they, they played hard and they had some terrific players. And Don Revy was the perfect was the perfect manager for that team. But yeah, I mean, if you if you're of a certain age, you came up hating Leeds, and you certainly certainly never thought that they would be the you know the 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 players of beautiful football. It changed, uh, you know, and, and their their last stint in, in the Premiership, um, you know, under David O'Leary, they played some really nice football. Of course, they just spent themselves into oblivion. But um, yeah, it is. It, beloved Leeds is not something you uh, you necessarily <laughs> heard around the Prem, and uh, as I said, they uh, if, if that's the way they're going to play, uh, they are boy, they're a welcome addition. Certainly more so than West Brom or Fulham. Fulham was just awful. Yeah, I, I just kind of love the the mentality. Like, yeah, we're going to Anfield. We're a newly promoted club. We don't give a damn. Like, we're <laughs> we're going to try and go toe to toe with the champs. Like, we don't well, care. And- and Danny, I mean, they left a couple of goals out there too. Patrick yep. Bamford, Patrick Bamford had a couple of chances. One, he just—I I don't know what he was thinking. All he had to do was flip it over the keeper, and, he, and he's got a goal. That's my one concern with a team like Leeds. Is that was exciting, and yeah, three goals against Liverpool is something else. But uh, you're going to have to take. You, you're you're going to have to cash into your chances over the course of the season, and I still think that's where their weakness lies because I don't think Bamford is good enough to be a consistent contributor at the Premier League level, and and, and we'll see about Rod uh, we'll see about Rodrigo, but that that is my concern. I think they just lack that final sort of that cutting edge and the you know in the the final the final kick. 
Yeah, and uh, both of their debutants, their big summer signings, uh, Rodrigo and uh, Coke, uh, giving up penalties in this match to see Liverpool through Rodrigo late on, which was just the silliest kind of penalty to give away. You could really tell it was a striker defending in his own box yep. with the way that that worked out. Uh, but that late penalty sees Liverpool to three points. Um, but, you know, I, I still have lots of questions about Liverpool, Jeff. Like all of the stuff we talked about on the on the preview show last week still lingers in my mind about whether or not they've freshened up this squad enough. Um, I, I now have questions about if do they have enough at center back uh, to get through a, a season where you know fixtures are going to be piled up on top of each other like crazy. Um, I'll give you this stat: in the first 26 matches of the Premier League last season, Liverpool conceded an average of 0.58 goals per game. Since the start of February, that is up to 1.62, more than a full goal more. 21 goals in 13 matches. Um, that this has got to be reason for concern for Jurgen Klopp, the way that his team is defending. Yeah, and I, and I think a lot of that, frankly, starts in the midfield. Uh, you're right. I, I you know I, I think they need they need they need more depth. Uh, well, they haven't the they haven't line. replaced Lovren. They haven't replaced Lovren yet. So, yeah, but, but my bit, you know, my bigger concern, my bigger concern remains the midfield, fam. I just uh, look. I, I I'll make this case often that if Jordan Henderson if Jordan Henderson was born in any other country and playing in the Prem, <laughs> no one would be making a big deal out of him. And I still think, you know, for him, there are there are a couple of good teams in the Prem. I'm not entirely certain he starts for them. And and they I think that's their biggest their biggest weakness right now, more than anything. And I, I'm hoping, you know, for Liverpool's sake, that Klopp eventually settles on 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 Fabinho as being as being an everyday player in the midfield, because to me. He is just he he is the guy that kind of settles everything down for them. And um, I just again, I think they're a little thin this year. And, uh, you know, I, I just I have a hard time seeing them repeat. And I, I I mean, I felt that way. I felt that way since the pandemic, since the restart. Thank goodness they had that cushion because they didn't seem interested and they seem they seem tired. Mm hmm. And I think the Premier League has decided on having three substitutes for this season, um, in spite of the fact that a lot of the other leagues have kept with the five uh, per match. Uh, Jurgen Klopp was vocal about that. Um, at the same time, you know, you think about the fixture list over the next uh, 12 months, Jeff, for teams that are playing in the Champions League, um, for teams that have a lot of internationals. You're gonna have these guys playing every three days, and if you don't have a deep squad, like you're gonna, managers this year are gonna have to rotate more than they have ever had before, and especially for those that are in the Champions League, Europa League, are competing on a couple of fronts. And I, I don't know if Liverpool have enough to rotate through and and get those consistent results in the same way that they did last year, and that's gonna be what we have to find out about them. Um, Leeds, uh, they're, they're too much fun. Uh, I, I'm really curious. Rodrigo's got to be the guy up front uh, as he gets a little bit more acclimated. But, man, what a first match and excited for more. They've got a couple of easier fixtures coming up, so we'll see if they can bank some points in the next few weeks. Uh, let's move on. Spurs and Everton. Um, wow. <laughs> Everton 1-0 winners uh, in London uh, for this one. 
And everybody's biggest takeaway is Everton's midfields, how good it looked, how good James Rodriguez looked, and uh, even got a question from Mike G on Instagram. Can Everton finish top four? Impressive-looking midfield. Um, that's, that's an overreaction Monday if I've ever heard one, but uh, he's not wrong in the, in the sense that the, the midfield was that damn good yesterday. It was good, and it's a midfield that hasn't been together for a long period of time, which was the thing that really that really impressed me. I think I still think they're a little thin up top for my liking, mm-hmm. but uh, look, I, I've, Rodriguez. We we all know if he stays healthy and stays focused, we all know the type of player he can be. I think Allen is is is, is exactly Allen's exactly the type of acquisition that a Premier League team makes when it thinks it's ready to contend for, for a European spot. I mean, he's exactly the type of guy you want in there. And, and to me, you know, so much of the focus was on Rodriguez, but, but I thought, I thought the Corey was terrific for Everton. And, and I think, I, I really think that he is a player that Carlo Ancelotti will absolutely be able to get the best out of. I think he's a perfect match for Ancelotti. I think he needs He's in a system now where he is not the most talented player in the pitch, but he but he's expected to act like the most talented player in the pitch, and I think that makes a big difference for him. It's a lot of responsibility, and he's got himself surrounded now by 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 guys who can play up to his skill level. I, I think they're really good, but Danny, I don't know about you, man. Fourth fourth still seems like a reach. They're they're just they're still a little thin for my liking. Their benefit is that they won't have to compete on a lot of different fronts, right? They finished 12th last year, so their their focus is on the Premier League. I do like what I see in this midfield and I got to say I loved what I saw from Hamas because, you know, it's one thing he had the five key passes, uh, should have definitely deserved an assist on the day for sure. Um, that is the most in a Premier League debut since Alexis Sanchez in 2014. Look how that turned out. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, he was good for Arsenal. (laughs) Yeah, he was. Arsenal, Uh, Alexis is fine. (laughs) uh, But James Rodriguez, four tackles, three interceptions. I think that was the most impressive thing about his match for me, Jeff, is he was committed to the cause of defending and winning the ball back higher up the pitch. And if Ancelotti can get that out of James Rodriguez all season long, he's going to be a hell of a signing. Yeah, that is the key, though, isn't it? Can he get it out of him all season long? That yeah. that's, that's the key with, with James. But certainly first first impressions were, were terrific. Um. Richarlison had 11 dribbles. I think Matt Doherty uh, basically looks at uh, Richarlison as Fred as Freddie Cougar right now. He's going to be haunting his dreams for the next Matt number Doherty's, of months. Matt Doherty's <laughs> got to be wondering, why did I leave Wolves? Why did I leave Wolves? I mean, he, he, seriously, he is, he is going to find himself in so many situations that he, that he wasn't in last year. Um, you know, I think Sometimes I think there's a tendency to uh, to look at a player and not give not give the system that he played in enough credit for turning him into the type of player he is. Like God love him, but I think if you take Connor Cody out of out of Wolves, he's just another guy, right? Yeah. And and I think you're going to see the same thing with Matt Doherty. I think he was a, a 
I think he was a real overreach on the part of, of Spurs. And I, look, I, Spurs, I'm not expecting much from them this year. I still think that by the end of the year, we're going to be talking about Harry Kane wanting out. And, you know, they're, to me, they're, they're just, they're in a death spiral right now. They really are. I, uh, I I couldn't disagree with you more. I, I I still have faith in my in my top four prediction, Jeff. I'm not I'm not uh, wavering after after one match, but um, certainly having Mourinho go in on his players after one match uh, maybe maybe isn't the best thing. Yeah, uh, just call- wait till he puts Joe Hart in there. That'll settle it all down. <laughs> Calling them lazy and and all of this, uh, it was it was an ugly performance from from Spurs. There's there's no getting away from it. Um, but you have to hope that they are better as the season goes along and that they find some creativity because I think that's the biggest thing that's lacking right now. They had nothing in the final third that was creating for Harry Kane or uh, for Human Son. He was maybe the only bright spot for the first 50 or so minutes of the match. Uh, otherwise, it was it was pretty dire from front to back. Uh, I'm going to throw for, something out there for you. I can solve Spurs' problem right now. All right. You're going to laugh. You're going to laugh. I could solve Spurs' problem right now. I want to hear it. I would get Dan- I would I would make a play for Danny Ings. Really? I would absolutely make a play for Danny Ings. I, I get oh, him and, okay. and, and 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 bolster the front. I would uh, ab- I would do that in a second because I really think they. I, I just don't. I, I don't think they have enough, Danny. I I really don't yeah. think they have enough. Well, there's. Uh, I know Alex on Twitter came at me and said, uh, "Well." Uh, Gareth Bale might be in to save save Spurs in your top four prediction. I mean, uh, Gareth Bale apparently is going to Manchester United. That can't wait for that to happen. <laughs> Sounds like he's going to be welcome on whatever squad he uh, he ends up with. Um, but yeah, it's 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 only looking up rock bottom for Spurs after week one. They're, they'll be fine. They'll be fine. Trust me on this one. Uh, Arsenal. Uh, your top four prediction looking pretty good after uh, their first match, winning 3-0 to New Boys, Fulham. And we talk about how great Hamas looked in his debut, Jeff. What about Willian factoring in on all three goals and getting two assists? Yeah, and it's, it's strange because a lot of the sort of the, the talking heads and the pundits in England were uh, – it gave, gave kind of a, a, a lukewarm thumbs up to Willian going to – to Arsenal, I think there was a lot of questions about is he really what Arsenal needs, and and you know, are, are, was it sort of a matter of just kind of settling almost for somebody who'd fallen out of favor at another club? Again, uh, he t- from a distance, he seems to be exactly what the doctor ordered for that team, and and the big thing for them is if they can figure out a way to have both Lacazette. And and Pierre Emerick Aubameyang on the pitch at the same time without them getting in each other's way and 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 can find somebody else who can maybe almost be the link between those between those two. I I I, I really like I just like the way I like the way they're positioned. I like the way they play, and I really do like Mikel Arteta. And I am prepared for the usual Arsenal hiccup, but. Again, I, I ask you, um, if you look at the top six teams in the league, if you look at the top six teams in the Prem, now obviously Liverpool and Man City are in a different different situation to some degree, but can you show me a team out of the top six that has 
a clearer plan as to how they are going to approach these next three years than Arsenal. I, I mean, I can't see one. Their, their plan is very clear. Get some young players in. It's almost like watching a baseball team put itself together. Get some young, cost-effective players. Get them a lot of playing time. Maybe sell one of them on. And But if, if, if they're good enough, surround them with players who can, can help them develop. And that's what I love about what I'm seeing from Mikel Arteta and Arsenal. I see a plan. I see a plan in place. And... A manager with some some serious tactical chops, you know. I think that's one of the things I've learned about Arteta here in his in his time with Arsenal already is that um, he he can really find a way and has found a way to get this team clicking. And like you said, a plan. And maybe it's it's not uh, diverse, and and it'll get found out eventually. And and we'll have to see how he deals with those wrinkles. Mm-hmm. But right now, um, you know, he's consistently got this team creating and showing that it, it can put up goals and it's 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 got Obama Yang so they're going to be able to finish on a, on a regular basis I, I mean there's there's a lot here that builds up on some level of consistency that can get you into a top four spot which is where Arsenal is trying to get back to uh, any other takeaways from match day one so far I mean you know what the team that really kind of that, that I was keeping an eye on just because I really don't know what to expect of them this year was Leicester. And, you know, Jamie Vardy's still going to score goals. Um, but what, what, what impressed me about Leicester is I, I'm wondering if maybe, if maybe Timothy Castagna isn't going to turn into this year's, uh, this year's Soyanchu, you know, that, that, that sort of under the radar signing that people looked at the player said, well, good player, might have some success on the Prem. And in the case of Soyanchu, uh, last year <clears throat> ended up being chosen onto the, the PFA, the, the Pro Football, uh, the Players Association uh, Team of the Year in the Premier League. And, and, and I think maybe Castagna could be that, could be that guy as well. And, and if, you know, if, if between him and Justin, if, if Leicester City can overhaul their back line, or if, if this overhaul is as successful as it looks, I, I think Lester Lester's fall from grace is probably has probably been overstated by some people, and 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 now they appear to have James Madison back. James Madison uh, played in the second half, and that was something not a lot of people expected. I think it, what a month after hip hip surgery, so I, I was really impressed with them. I was really impressed with them, and they they. You, you know one thing with Lester. Lester is going to give you everything they have uh, most days. So that, that that was one of the takeaways. You know, if, if, if most of the debutantes I thought had really good matches this weekend, but Castagna really impressed me, and I think he's a guy who's going to have a lot of success in the Prem. Ever have any questions about the Premier League or whatever it is around the footy world? At Dan Richo underscore and at SN Jeff Blair on Twitter. A couple more things before we get to our guest, Chris Williams, here on the show. Um, City A fires up this weekend in Italy. Juventus looking to capture a 10th straight title, Jeff. But it's more in doubt now than it probably has ever been during this entire run with Inter coming close last season and seemingly having the better offseason to this point so far. Uh, does the run of titles come to an end for Juventus? I know you would love to see it happen. 
with, Cristiano, <laughs> with Cristiano Ronaldo. I, I I know you would love to be able to blame him. No. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the only question to me is, you know, when when are we when when are they lifting the trophy? I I I just don't think. I don't think anybody is close to them. You know, I, I really don't. Inter, they're they're interesting, but man, I'll still take I'll still take Juve. I, I just I, I think winning begets winning in Serie A, and and barring an injury to Ronaldo, I don't think there's anything that can stop Juve. I I, I really don't. I, I do think Inter um, has probably made the better signing of, of the summer so far with Hakimi. We saw how good he was with Dortmund, la- Dortmund mm-hmm. last year. He can he can really break a game open on that right side. So that and, and in Antonio Conte's system, uh, he might be a perfect fit uh, for this team. But in the overall, like I, the more I've thought about it, it, it's kind of that championship DNA, right? Um, do, do teams. Are they able to put out those results against the teams that they should? Do they turn draws into wins? That's what ultimately got uh, got it across the line last year for Juve, and I'm I'm still wondering if Inter has that kind of pedigree, despite um, you know growing under Conte, and of of course with Conte too, you he's kind of like Marcelo Bielsa. You have this like wild card of he can just sewer the entire operation uh, in one day if if he just feels like it and goes off the rails and. You know, he almost bolted in the middle of this summer uh, because he wasn't getting what he wanted in the transfer market. So I think there's still a lot of question marks there. However, Juve do need a, a center forward. Sorry, Robbie, go ahead, no, Jeff. No, I was going to say the other the, – I, I wonder – I mean, I, I wonder how interested Latoro Martinez stays with all these rumors that he's going to join Barcelona sooner or later. You know, I, that's – there's something else with, with, with Inter that I, I'm, I'm not certain that we – pay enough attention to is it seems to me that they have some players whose heads will be turned or are capable of being turned. And I, I, I don't know if Juve has, has similar type of player. Yeah. I, I really don't. Yeah, and Andrea Pirlo is uh, he's it, welcome to the managerial world. He's already begging for a center forward uh, yep, after <laughs> after Gonzalo Higuain was shipped off to uh, Inter Miami in uh, MLS. Uh, it also looks like the Suarez deal has fallen apart. So uh, we talked about it last week. Uh, would he become the 14th player to have played with Messi and Ronaldo? The answer looks like no right now. Uh, shouts to Ryan on Twitter who had the correct answer to our trivia question of who those 13 players are Gabriel Heinze, Fernando Gago Angel Di Maria, Carlos Tevez Paulo Dybala, Gonzalo Higuain Ezequiel Garay, Deco Nelson Samero, Andre Gomez Gerard Pique, Henrik Larsson and Martin Cáceres I mean Henrik Larsson is, is the most random one of all <laughs> Well, I was I, Henrik Larsson is the most random one and I, I was smiling because when I covered the Olympics in China uh Ezekiel Garay was on that Argentine team and was just, first of all, I, he, he, for some reason, I have no idea. I have no idea uh, what the reason was or how it worked out that way. But for some reason, he seemed to be interviewed a great deal after every, after every match. He, he just made himself available. He became very popular. He was also, as I remember in that tournament, was just, he was nasty. Like, yeah, he, he, he was absolutely, I remember referring to him as filthy in, in an article I wrote. He was just absolutely nasty. And that was the team that, that won the gold medal, uh, the Argentine team that won the gold medal. But that, 
that is that is interesting. He's a guy I always I always thought his career should have it, it should have offered more Garai because he was he was so tough. He could play the game either way. And I, I just kind of figured he at some point was going to end up in the Premier or, or, you know, I mean, I think where he was at Real Madrid, I believe, for uh, for a few years. But I, I thought he I thought his career would last a lot longer. Yeah, and um, Henrik Larsson, how, how well do you remember his uh, seven matches at Manchester United? Because <laughs> I had forgotten about them completely. Well, Henrik Larsson's played with a lot of people, I think. Yeah, he, he really has. Um, a loan spell in 2007 uh, to Manchester United. Uh, saw a goal return of one from his seven appearances. Uh, quickly, a report from the Sunday Times says that... Uh, Kylian Mbappe has informed PSG that he wants out next offseason, Jeff. Do you believe it? Oh, yeah. Um, I I think PSG is, is you know, I, I think the wheels are already off the track there. Um, I Look, at some point, I think if you're a serious young soccer player, you look around and go, yeah, I got to try. I got to, I, I got to, I got to try it. At, a, at another level. And I, I don't think anybody actually looks at PSG as the place they want to go and finish their career. I don't think any good young player does. Obviously it's a great city. Um, you know, you're, you're shoot, you're guaranteed. It's like a free pass into, into champions league, but yeah, I think he's destined for bigger things. Don't you? I, I, I really do. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's already, um, I mean, if, if they had won the champions league, he would have completed uh, world football, pretty much already before the age of 22. Um, but, you know, he's, I, I guess my only question mark is who's, who's got the 200 million um, to, to put up, you know, they, they spent 165 for him. Uh, Man when bought city. Him from Monaco. Man yeah. city. I, I mean, Real Madrid isn't spending right now. So I wonder if they're, uh, they're kind of holding back and, and waiting for this opportunity. Um, he's talked a lot about loving Liverpool, but you know, I don't see where they're going to take that money from, uh, given their spending over the last couple of years. Uh, unless but... you know what, Danny, unless they decide, you know, they've got those three, they've got the, the, those three forwards. Yeah. Unless they decide at some point that, you know, you, you pick one of the three, you commit to that person long term. I mean, for me, it would be money, obviously commit to him longer term and then bring in. And then bring in somebody else to to freshen it up. But you're right that to, in order to do that, you probably have to sell Firmino and uh, and and Salah and, uh, and and possibly some other players to get that to get that deal done. But now nah, I, I look, I, I think Man City at some point is is just gonna it's gonna be silly, um, and it'll especially be the case, frankly, if they don't if they don't do anything this year, you know, because they'll be looking to freshen up without. They'll be losing Aguero. I, I don't think anybody necessarily looks at Gabriel Gabriel Jesus as a guy that you can build your your attack around. I mean, I sure don't. I think he's a bit not a bit player, but I think he's kind of he's he's he would be best served being Scottie Pippen to somebody else's Michael Jordan. So I can I can see I can see Man City going all out and trying to get Mbappe. I mean, can you imagine him and De Bruyne on the same team? Oof. Yeah, I mean that would be uh, that would be something else to watch. Uh, it'd be a lot of fun. Um, but right now, you know, the we saw PSG lose to Marseille yesterday in what was uh, a classique with uh, fun-filled fighting, and it was uh, basically a brawl. 
um, <laughs> at the end of the match. Five sending offs. Neymar landed a punch on Alvaro Gonzalez, who he claimed uh, said a racist slur to him. Uh, Gonzalez basically said Neymar's a sore loser, uh, so he denied it. Uh, we'll see how Ligon decides that, but uh, it had me thinking of of the most memorable football fights. Do you have uh, Do you have one? I mean, the one that stands out to me is just because of the sheer goofiness of it is Lee Bowyer and Kieran Dyer, two teammates fighting when they were with <laughs> Newcastle United. Yeah. And, and, and Gareth Barry, uh, Gareth Barry of Villa at the time, having to break it up. That, that is, that's the one that stands out to me. And of course, yeah, I don't know if you'd call it a fight, but Eric, Eric Hanton is, is dropkick you know, of, of that fan, something that I'm sure every professional football player has wanted to do at some point in their career. But those are the two that stand out to me. I, I go back to uh, what was probably the last time I saw Mesut Ozil show any emotion on the football pitch. Um, Real Madrid and Barcelona in 2011. I think it was the Spanish Super Cup. And Marcelo had a vicious scissor challenge on Cesc Fabregas and just all hell broke loose after that. It was the height of El Clasico and, and Mourinho and, and Guardiola fighting on the on the touchline. It was it was just uh, epic. Uh, but also, like, after watching the Maradona HBO documentary, um, that fight Barcelona had with Maradona against Athletic Bilbao was uh, was pretty epic. <laughs> it, it looked more like a WWE match with guys just like drop kicking each other across the field. It was just uh, just absolute madness. But uh, football's changed these days, and now um, the fights are a little little more tame than they were back then. Uh, coming up next, it is. The eve of the Bundesliga's first match day as we get ready for that to return. What does Alfonso Davies have for an encore presentation after his standout rookie year with Bayern Munich? We'll talk to Chris Williams about that. It's next on A Kick in the Grass. Back in on a kick in the grass. And, uh, well, this week we just saw the Premier League start up. And this upcoming weekend we will see the German Bundesliga return. And also Alfonso Davies will return with Bayern Munich as they look to really dominate European football once again with the team that they have. Let's bring in our next guests. It's Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair now welcoming in Chris Williams at Chris78Williams on Twitter, Bundesliga Radio Co-Commentary. Thanks for this, Chris. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it uh, it, uh, it really... <laughs> It feels like uh, just yesterday the Bundesliga was uh, was setting the setting the table for everybody else to return to play in March, and uh, here we are getting ready for for the new season already. It's uh, it, it seems like it's all happened overnight. Yeah, I mean, obviously Bundesliga was the first one to come back. I think it set the stall for the rest of Europe and, and probably the rest of the world in some cases. And um, yeah, we had a little break and then the Champions League and Europa League final stages took place in their respective countries, Lisbon and um, Germany. And and now, after what seems like no break at all, Premier League started and we're expecting the Bundesliga to return imminently. So yeah, it's all go. And I saw a stat the other day that um, here in Europe, not not too sure in, in the US and Canada, but um, once, the Bundes- once the Premier League started, it was going to be no break, no breaks in play until the start, until the end of the World Cup. So that's a lot of football coming our way. Yeah, it's. Uh, 
I, I'm curious how the players handle it, Chris, you know, to be honest with you. Um, and, and I know some managers around Europe have, have already kind of touched on this, but uh, it, it's going to be tough on these players, especially those internationals who really are going to be playing matches every three days for the next number of months. Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, there's some matches which I think are a bit crazy. So there's uh, a couple of friendlies that are going on over the international break. I don't really think we need those. If we're going to have international football, it should predominantly be for the tournaments that need qualification-wise um, or they need qualifying for. I, I understand international managers will want to play friendlies because they've got the players there and they can experiment, etc. But in this condensed season... Um, the the games that don't need to be played shouldn't really be played, and, and I would say a friendly isn't for that. But yeah, if you're one of the top clubs and you're you've got players playing week in week out, and then you're releasing a lot to the national side, there there is a lot to worry about there um, for managers. Some clubs have, have taken, oh sorry, some leagues have taken on the five substitute rule. Premier League hasn't. Jurgen Klopp spoke about that in great length. He wasn't particularly happy, but he can understand why because it does benefit the stronger squads. Um, but yeah, there's, I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of injuries. We saw some injuries when the Premier League came back and it went into that FA Cup. There's you know, hamstrings pinging all over the place. So it's, it's a key moment if you've got a big squad and, and teams that have got a light squad or have sold and not purchased. I think they're going to have problems, not necessarily now, but when we get into maybe February, March time again, that's, I think, when we're going to have a lot of trouble for some sides. So let's get into this Bundesliga preview and start at the top. Um, it was about 10 months ago where Hansi Flick was put in charge of, of Bayern Munich, and basically there has not been a slip-up since. Um, <laughs> it was uh, an incredible run to the treble. I guess the question is, uh, how, how do you follow that up? Like, What's the encore presentation after that? Yeah, it's, it's a tough one. I mean, if we take the time when Hansi Flick came in, it, there was um, there was a, a spate where Bayern had played really, really poor football and they were dismantled by Eintracht Frankfurt 5-1, I think it was, in the Commerce Bank Arena. And that pretty much signaled the end of Nico Kovac. And in came Hansi Flick, a little bit of an unknown to the rest of the world, very well known in Germany. Um, Joachim Love's number two for the World Cup and knows all the Bayern players very well, came in was given the job on an interim basis, did so well that he got it full-time. And, and yeah, they've hoovered up all trophies available to them in Germany and including the Champions League. Um, how do teams go again? I think we saw Manchester City last season in England. It's hard when you win everything to, to get up for that and go again. But, I mean, Bayern is such a professional side. They've had a couple of outgoings, a couple of incomings, possibly some more outgoings as well, player-wise. Um, yeah, they've, they've had a long old season and they're straight back into the new one. And that is where I think some of the other sides, Dortmund, Gladbach, Leipzig, could really um, take advantage of that because Bayern have to slip up at some point. But they need to get the results. Last season, Dortmund and Leipzig lost and drew when either Bayern drew or lost. So they didn't really capitalise on that. So I think it's going to be up to the others to really put the pressure on Bayern because they will slip at some point. That's you know No team's going to go... Um, another season unbeaten after getting unbeaten half a season as well. It's it's impossible. So the others need to be able to take um, account when that happens. And Bayern, um, you know, it hasn't been for a lot of teams. There hasn't been a lot of uh, transfer activity. They made their big purchase with Leroy Sané. Um, how do you see Sané fitting into this Bayern side that uh, didn't leave many spots open for for a newcomer given the way uh, Nabry and, and Coman and others played? 
Yeah, I mean, Leroy Sané is a fantastic player, but you're quite right. Bayern have got a lot of players in that area. But as we've just discussed, these fixtures are going to come thick and fast. And I think having someone like Leroy Sané can come in, he can play in a number of positions in that midfield. So if Gnabry was to be injured or, um, you know, if Coleman was to be injured, etc., then there's, there's, there's players who can come in and, and take up the new roles there. And Leroy Sané, I think, will be playing a lot of games because the flick will have to rotate if he wants to win all the competitions again, which I'm sure Bayern will. They'll they want to win the uh, the Champions League again and again and again. It's something they failed to do after the last time they won it. Um, so they're going to need a strong squad. But yeah, they've, they've said goodbye to a few people. Felipe Coutinho, of course, um, Ivan Perisic, another one that's gone. So yeah, it's, it's going to be difficult for them. But you know they they do um, they do have a very good squad. Sonny is just the tip of the iceberg. Um, you know they've brought in some players from. Um, Paris Saint-Germain of course they brought in a young lad from Celtic and of course Alexander Nubel's going to come in to maybe not even play a game yeah <laughs> as well yeah to, to back up there with uh, with Manny Neuer um, our, our guy Alfonso Davies I mean uh, he's he's probably the most uh, popular Canadian athlete right now uh, at least I'd like to think so um, if we can get over our hockey love for just a moment but um, uh, Davies has really taken the the football world by storm and it's been incredible to see his growth over the last 12 months with this Bayern squad um, what what do you see in store for his sophomore season Oh, um, um, he has, it's an old cliche in football, but he literally has the world at his feet, Alfonso Davies. I mean, we saw what he did to Semedo in the Champions League, probably end his career there and then because the way he dashed past him, he's a frighteningly quick player, um, but he's not just got pace, he's got intelligence. You can see him read the game. I know he's a professional, so he will be two to three phases ahead, but the way he reads the game, he looks at sometimes he's four phases ahead, he knows what's coming next. Um, and Canadians should be very proud of him because... You know, at such a young age, he's already won the Pokal. He's won a couple of Bundesliga. He's got Champions League under his belt. Um, yeah, he can go as far as he wants, considering his age as well. He's only nineteen. He's still in his teens. Um, yeah, I think that it can only get better for him, and and that's quite a statement because of what he's won so far. Um, but he's going to be key to Hansi Flick's um, plans, not just now, but for the next five, six, seven seasons. And if I'm Alfonso Davies, I don't know where else I'm going to go unless he wants a new challenge at some point. I think he should be very happy at Bayern because you know he's in a winning side and he's a crucial cog in that winning side. He's not just there to make up the numbers. Um, the way he either moves down that left side and he can either play left back or left wing should he want to. They can even play him on the right side as well. So he does offer a little bit of versatility. So yeah, tremendous player. Um, one I certainly love to look and, and watch on a weekly basis because... You don't know what he's going to do next, and that's the beauty about him. So, with the, when it comes to the contenders, um, Borussia Dortmund, uh, they, they fell off a little bit towards the end of the season, but who was going to keep up with Bayern at the torrid pace that they were going? Um, can they pose that threat? Can they keep up their form from early in the year last year? to sustain it over an entire season and maybe push forward. We know how well Holland played down the stretch, but how much of a threat is Dortmund right now to Bayern's title, uh, ninth consecutive title? It's a tough one because Dortmund should be the main challenger, but I spoke to someone a while ago in Germany and they said that Dortmund are just an occasional nuisance to Bayern Munich. And I think that's what Leipzig are. And I think... 
that is what Gladbach became last season, an occasional nuisance, not really a threat. I mean, at one point, Bayern were nine points behind and they still cruised for the title. So that shows you how strong they are. Uh, Dortmund have got a great squad. Of course, the most valuable player is Jadon Sancho, um, exceptionally valuable. Looks like he's going to be there. Dortmund were very adamant he wouldn't leave after the 10th of August. And you know we're now on the 14th of September, got a couple of weeks to the end of the window. I'm not sure he moves either. So if they can keep hold of Jadon Sancho with Haaland, with Hazard and with Brandt, and they, they've got a good side. Obviously, Emery Chan came in. Um, defensively, they looked okay at times, but they need to turn games that they were drawing into victories and 1-0 and losses either into draws or into three points because if they want to beat Bayern, they're going to have to have a pretty much a perfect season and, and that's a hard ask for any club. You know, Chris, I, I, I'm wondering when you look at at, uh, at Dortmund and in particular Lucien Thav, who I think has, I think this is the final year of his contract, um, if I'm not mistaken. Um you saw the way they finished last year. You, I think there was a real sense that there was a lot of dissatisfaction with the team on the part of Dortmund fans. Um, do you see him finishing the year out? And because, you know, one of the things that it, it's difficult, right? Bayern is clearly the, the best team in the, in the Bundesliga. Nobody's close to them. So I, I don't even know how you would rate the season if you're Dortmund. Like finishing second, done that. Is it is it Champions League or, or or bust for them? It's a great question because Lucien Favre was given a lot of money this time last year or before this time last year in the, in the close season, and and they spent a lot of money, brought in some really good players, and Dortmund were expected to go and win the league. If we go back a season prior to that, I think we can pretty much say they threw the league away with the lead they had um, and the dominance they had early on. Last season was a big disappointment for Dortmund, not just for the fans, I think, but for the board as well. So um, I, I can't see Lucien Favre staying in the job if Dortmund have a poor start or if they find themselves particularly off the pace because Dortmund spend money infrequently um, and they live within their means and they, they have spent a lot of money. And, and this is the season for me, it's, it's do or die for Lucien Favre because Dortmund do have the key ingredients to, to challenge Bayern. Okay, Roman Berkey can occasionally um, be a little bit doubtful in goal, but he is a good keeper. They've got some great um, defenders. They brought in Mats Hummels to shore up that back line. They've got the likes of Nico Schultz, uh, Marco Schmelzer, um, Thomas Mounier's come in. Then you look on the midfield, which I think is probably one of the best midfields in Germany. Could probably argue it's one of the top 10 midfields in Europe. Um, and of course, um, their, their forward line is frightening on its day. So yeah, the Dortmund should be punching above their weight, really. Um, and that's unfortunate for Lucien Favre because I think maybe his tactics have worked out would be a little harsh, I think, on him. But teams know how to play against Dortmund. If you stop their um, wing backs pressing high and getting the ball and, and make them go play through the middle, occasionally they struggle. And, and teams did that last season. So, yeah, it's a real key season for Favre, but for Dortmund especially because, you know, Haaland has got a, a, a buyout clause, Dorgan Hazard's excellent. Jaden Sancho's on the verge of leaving at some point. Um, these are players that could just leave. Giovanni Reina is another exciting player. If Dortmund aren't there or thereabouts, the other teams from other leagues will come in and try and poach them, and then they'll be left with a, a shadow squad, and I'm sure they don't want that. I've I've felt that uh, a lot of the rumors around Sancho are... <laughs> 
just trying to generate clicks, Chris, uh, at this point. Um, uh, agree or disagree, or is, is Manchester United really still in to sign him before the window is up? I think Manchester. I think probably a little bit of both. Um, into there's, there's truths in both of that side. I think Manchester United are exceptionally keen on signing Jaden Sancho. Of course, they've employed an ex-journalist in their PR and comms role, so I think that's why we've seen a lot of stories come out about how much Manchester United want them, how much, um, sorry, how much they want him, how much they're trying to get a deal done. But in reality, Dortmund said there's a line in the sand if he's not purchased by the 10th of August when we leave for. Um, our training camp in Austria, that's it. We want our squad sorted for the season for Lucien Favre to plan. And I think that shows an indication of where Dortmund are in relation to what we've talked about. 10th of August, mandatory line, let's let's go and win the title and let's all be pulling towards that. Um, so, yeah, I think there are a lot of um, clicks generated and there is a lot of interest, of course, in Jadon Sancho moving to Manchester United. But unless Manchester United do what Dortmund want, which is to pay 120 million euros with a lot of it up front all at once um, and maybe only a couple of payments over a couple of seasons and small payments. He's not going anywhere. And we've got to that point now where um, Mr. Zork and Mr. Vatska have said that he's staying um, and that if he leaves now, I don't know what sort of, of um, line in the sand that gives them again if they're in this position. Of course, they told Lewandowski he couldn't leave um, and he did a season after um, they told Dembele he couldn't leave, but then he jumped on a plane and forced that issue. So <laughs> there's not much they could do, really. Jaden Sancho seems happy in training. Um, you know, look at Dortmund's Instagram, etc. He seems a very, very happy player and uh, doesn't want to force a move. And Dortmund don't need to sell because, of course, he extended his contract in secret by a year. Chris, when you look at, at the top four, or maybe the top five in the Bundesliga, if Dortmund... You know, if Dortmund doesn't do what they usually do, it is a lot of people are going to look at, at RB Leipzig and say they're the team maybe best pos- positioned to jump up. But I'm wondering about Borussia Mönchengladbach. Uh, I think by the end of the year, we're probably a lot of people's second favorite team, just the way they played. Um, I love what Marco Rosas has done with that team. Uh, where do you see them? And are and are they could could they be the team that surprises people and 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 finishes second? It'd be a big ask for them. Of course, we saw last season how well they did. You know, they were leaders at one point. I think they went into a very crucial um, Europa League game, um, Europa League playoff game, or sorry, a, a Europa League game in their last group game in that group um, to progress through. Unfortunately, they failed, but they were top of the Bundesliga at the time. And yeah, Marco Rose has got them playing some really interesting football. Um, a little bit different than than what you'd associate with pure German football. Um, I think he's brought a little bit of influence from the Austrian Bundesliga in. And yeah, they, they've got some great players, um, of course, especially in the middle of the park and up front. Um, I would expect them to do very well this season. But of course, now they've got the um, distraction of European football as well. And I'm sure they'll want to uh, give a good account of themselves in that also. Um, yeah, it's going to be tough for them. But I think they're well placed to to pounce on any slip ups by Leipzig or by Dortmund themselves. I would certainly have them down as um, the, you know the fourth team in Germany at the moment. I may have given it to Bayer Leverkusen, but unfortunately for them, the players that they've had leave, um, I think will make them um, a little bit lighter as we go into the season. Julian Nagelsmann is um, you know, one of the most popular managers around Europe right now, maybe seen as the next great manager. I mean, he's done already incredible things with Red Bull Leipzig. Um, 
how do they? How does he replace Timo Werner uh, this year, and and maybe push a little bit higher up the pitch and fight for second? Yeah, Timo Werner is exceptional player, um, and I think obviously the Premier League are going to see what he can do um, today. Um, so yeah, how, how do they replace him? I mean, obviously they brought players into those areas. Now they're going to have to hope um, that they start firing on all cylinders. Obviously, um, He Chan Huang's come in from um, Salzburg. Um, and they're um, they're looking to bring in another at some point. May have been Patrick Schick, but obviously he's gone to buy Leverkusen now because AS Roma wanted a little bit too much money. Um, so it's going to be difficult for them because not only are they trying to replace um, a striker and, and someone who can play on the left side, they're also trying to replace somebody who scores a lot of goals, and, and that's a difficulty for any side. It's not just like-for-like like replacement. It's for how many goals they score. And yeah, Timo Werner was crucial, especially in their Champions League performances. I know he dipped out of the final stages to move to Chelsea, but getting them to Lisbon, he was a key player. Um, it's going to be tough for them, but I think we all know about RB Leipzig and about the Red Bull football empire as a whole, and they recruit players very, very well. And yeah, that's that's something I think um, that Nagelsmann can hope for, that players do come in eventually, um, but he does have a good squad. And so it'll be interesting to see, but they certainly need to turn draws into victories. That was their main problem last season in the Bundesliga. Twelve draws, I think, off the top of my head, not good enough in the end. Um, if they could have turned half of those into victories, you know, Bayern would have had a little bit more of an uncomfortable time than they did. The pandemic means obviously that it's going to be a. It has been a tough year. Uh, for Bundesliga teams. Um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, this is the least amount of money Bundesliga teams have spent in the transfer market in about 10 years. I'm wondering, Chris, does this, in some ways, could this be, I don't know if I'd say could it be good for German soccer, but it could help. Could it help players like Florian Wirtz or, or players like that, sort of the next generation of German players, establish themselves a little earlier because instead of splashing out big money on uh, on transfers teams may rely more on their on their academy setup yeah i think that's that's a great point because obviously Florian inverts is going to come through um now with Havertz leaving but yeah there's there's players there that are going to get the opportunity i think we saw that when the bundesliga came back and the five substitutes were allowed um, younger players started to get their time or, or players that were brought in on loan started to get a little bit more time and, and if players are given that opportunity they need to take it, some did once we came back from the initial break um, and some didn't but yeah the opportunity's there now um, and you're quite right there has been a lack of funds coming in which I think has stopped teams playing but of course Germany's not like England I mean the Premier League's got a fantastic television deal, the Bundesliga's got not a bad television deal but they make a lot of money um, from from who comes through the gate. And at the moment, as it stands, because of the way Germany's set up, there's places like um, Frankfurt, who may get 6,500 fans. Bayern will get zero. And those in the North Rhine-Westphalian, so Schalke, Dortmund, Leverkusen, Gladbach, Cologne, they can have a maximum of 350 people in the stadium. So, yeah, it's going to be tough for them. It's going to be really tough for them. Um, so, yeah, this is a time where those younger players can get the opportunity and they have to take it. But I don't think it will, I don't think it'll hamper teams too much because the Bundesliga has always been exceptional for bringing youth talent coming through. What it may lead to happening is that other leagues, Premier League, La Liga, um, etc., don't come in and poach them at such an early stage. That could be one beneficiary of that, um, you know, coronavirus pandemic. But 
Yeah, the, the the money wise is a real issue for German clubs. Schalke, one of the biggest or the third biggest club by membership, almost went to the wall. Um, so it's a constant reminder for clubs that maybe they live just a little bit too much on the coattails of television money. We know that some clubs will be playing with fans in the stands. I don't know if it's across the board, but I, know, I think I think Leipzig has been given permission to start out with eight thousand or something like that. Um, it, it could be a little more than that. Uh, how soon can we expect to see stadiums perhaps half full in in the Bundesliga or even even more than that? What's the status of of the return of fans to the Bundesliga? Yeah, and, and obviously that'll have a huge economic impact. Yeah, well, um, some some of the smaller clubs, or I mean, outside the top three, those clubs um, rely heavily on gate receipts and and people buying beer and hot dogs and bratwursts and scarves and shirts and, and everything. The, the clubs rely on that, as do the local communities as well, the bars outside, etc. So, yeah, you're quite right. So a, a team like Leipzig could expect somewhere in the region of about 8,500 fans um, go a little bit further up north to Berlin. Um, Hertha and Union Berlin could get 5,000. If you're going to go across to somewhere like Werder Bremen, um, their regional government is looking at 400 fans. So... Um, it's going to be a real challenge. And when do they come back? Well, Germany was at the, the key driver in Europe, really, of showing how shops can open again, how cafes can open again, restaurants, pubs, etc. Um, workplaces starting to reopen schools. Um, and they had a little spike. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not a virologist, so I wouldn't like to, to say when, but it, it can't be soon enough for German, for German football clubs. I mean, me personally, I would think we're not going to see you know, a full signal of doing a part with 80,000 people in it till maybe March or even April once we've got through this next winter and what happens in the winter will we'll wait to be seen. But if it's not as bad as it was last winter, it may be a little bit earlier, but I, I don't think it's going to be any time this side of Christmas, that's for sure. Not from the reports that I've been reading in the German press anyway. Two of the, the biggest transfer stories uh, surrounding Bayern Munich uh, have been about Potential outgoing players is Thiago uh, Alcantara and David Alaba are both a year away from their contracts expiring. And uh, there's there's been a lot of talk around both players. Um, Chris, what are the what are the chances both of them last with Bayern here through through the transfer window? I mean, if you're a Bayern fan and maybe that both of them are going to stay, I think that would be a long shot. Um, Thiago has already said his goodbyes, if you believe certain areas within the German press. But it's I think it's an open secret that he wishes to move on. And not because he doesn't like the club, because after he won the Champions League with him, he's won everything he needs to. He wants a new challenge. I think he's explained that um, Hansi Flick said that he's, you know, he's told him himself he wants a new challenge. And I think that new challenge will either be in England or Italy. Don't know if he'd go to France, um, potentially. Obviously, he's played in Spain before. Um, and yeah, there's, there's a couple of clubs in for him. Liverpool, heavily linked. Manchester United also in the last week. Um, but yeah, I think it would be difficult for them to keep hold of both players. Um, it would be... I would be very, very surprised. Um, and I think the, the likes of Uli Honus, the way he's spoken um, about agents, etc. I think we can read into that, that he'd be a little surprised as well. But one thing they won't want to do is lose them for free in January. Um, and I think that's Uli Honus sort of mentioned that yesterday, although he's not happy about it. He expects um, cl clubs to, to come and bid for those players just as the um, transfer window is about to close and get them on the cheap. Now, Bayern don't want that, but the alternative is they walk away um, next season or the end of, sorry, the end of this season 
in June-July time. They walk away for free after signing a, a pre-contract agreement in January, and Bayern will not want that. So should a club come in and say, well, you know, for instance, we'll give you 20 million for Thiago and know you want 30 million euros, do they take that 20 million and and remain unhappy, or do they lose him for free in eight months' time? It's a, it's a difficult position, really, for Bayern to be in. But I wouldn't expect either of them to be there, to be honest. Chris, I, uh, I feel we're, we're ready for the Bundesliga season. Thanks, uh, thanks for this today, and appreciate it, and hopefully we'll talk again soon. That's great. Thanks for having me on, Jens. Have a great show. There is your Bundesliga preview. You can always send in questions for the show at DanRicho underscore and at SN Jeff Blair. And that's when we answer your questions in injury time. So get your questions in each and every week as we tape on Monday and release new episodes each and every Monday. It is a kick in the grass. A kick in the grass, Dan Rachel and Jeff Blair. Uh, we've got to update you on uh, the kick in the grass fantasy Premier League. Jeff, what was going on this week? You went with the five-three-two. I mean, this is like uh, this is terrible fantasy management right here. No, it's 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 tactical. It's tactical. <laughs> I'm lo- I'm looking ahead. I'm lo- I'm I'm looking ahead to uh, you know to to the next couple of weeks. Next couple of weeks down the road. It's 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 all tactical. I've I've, I've got to figure. I mean, look, I'll probably use my I'll probably use my my uh, my free chip uh, at some point in the first three weeks of the season, anyhow, because I normally do that. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with it. I'm comfortable with it. There, there's always that thing. I don't know if you, if you notice it or other fans notice it, but there is kind of that, that feeling of having a pit in your stomach when you're watching everybody else's <laughs> score go up and you kind of realize, well, yeah. my strike, and then you realize, okay, my strikers haven't played yet. My strikers haven't played yet, but, uh, no, nah, five in the back is fine. You know, providing you get some clean sheets. I mean, you know, I, I certainly yeah. didn't. I, I certainly <laughs> didn't plan on Leeds pumping three by three by, by Liverpool. Uh, by Liverpool, but uh, yeah, I'll rally. I'll rally. Well, the uh, Van Gaal bladders sit way down the table in uh, in the Premier League fantasy uh, for well, kick in the grass. Down. Um, we're, we're, we're comfortably in the middle, <laughs> mid table. Uh, you're you're right where where Tottenham will end up being, as as your as your prediction states. Uh, I'm in uh, I'm in fifth right now. Um, a- after my grave mistake uh, to not captain Salai, captain uh, Obama Yang instead of Salai. Yeah, well, I did the same thing. That's, yeah, there, there's a lot of that going around. <laughs> there really was a lot of that going around. Uh, but uh, shouts go out to listener Juan and South by SW6, his squad name. Top scorer of the week. He made the shrewd decision of captaining Mohamed Salah for the hat trick against Leeds. Backed that up with goals from Calvert-Lewin and Obama Yang as well. Uh, get in on the Kick in the Grass Fantasy Premier League. Use the league code PPIBD6 at PremierLeague.com. Highest score of the week earns a shout-out on the podcast. You can join at any point during the season. All right, injury time. Got a couple of questions before the show is out. Jeff, this one comes from Ben. He is asking about La Liga, which just started up this weekend, though uh, Barcelona and Real Madrid did not get their first matches going. Is La Liga up for grabs this year, or do you still expect Real or Barca to win? Oh, I expect Real to win. Um, so I don't know. Does that mean it's less up for grabs? Um, or I, I don't have any faith at all in, in Barcelona. I just think there's too much going on there. Um, you know, it's kind of the, it's the same, 
the same squad we saw coming out of the pandemic. I, I think Real, I think Real wins this comfortably, and I think the only question for Real is when do you start planning for Champions League, and how do you how do you start ensuring that everybody stays fresh? But I don't know. I I don't see anybody. Um, I, I it would be nice to see it'd be nice to see Atleti maybe you know maybe surprise. I, I you know what I'd really like I would they, really like someone else to press. Yeah, Real. it'd make it way more interesting. Uh, Sociedad was a lot of fun to watch last year. I don't know if they're they're ready to make that kind of a challenge. I'd say Atleti is the biggest challenger to Real this year. A lot will come down to Joao Felix and if he can have uh, a big year after his big money signing last year. It took him some time to, to get going with Atletico Madrid, but if he has a breakout, well, maybe they can really contend for that top spot in the table uh and martin is asking what's your favorite signing of the summer window so far um favorite in the prem anywhere i guess he didn't he didn't specify so and it came on twitter at dan rico underscore i really like and and maybe i'm maybe i'm overplaying this 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 guy but i really like havertz uh, yeah. That signing by 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 Chelsea, uh, Timo Werner is, is a great signing as well. But um, Havertz, to me, you know, he he could become anytime you sign a guy who is capable of becoming your best player within a couple of weeks, and I really think he's good enough that by the end of the year, certainly we'll be saying he is he's Chelsea's best player. I, I think I don't see how you can't be excited by that. I really don't. Uh, for me, it's um, it's Milan with the signing of Sandro Tonali, who is uh, kind of the young Pirlo, as they are starting to call him uh, in Italy. And uh, to steal him away from Juventus or Inter, uh, I, I mean, I, I, I as a as a longtime Serie A supporter, I do kind of want Inter and Milan to to once again be the biggest challengers right there with Juventus. But Milan is still a ways away from that. Signing Tonali gets them closer and puts them on the right track towards fighting atop the table once again. Appreciate your questions. Get them in at DanRicho underscore and at Blair. Also on Instagram at DanRicho and at SNetBlair. Get them in before each Monday so that we can bring them in on the show. Appreciate it as always, Jeff, and for our producer as well, Cam Bear, always doing a fine job. This has been another edition of A Kick in the Grass. 